Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this opportunity that we have to hear your word, um, to have your spirit stir in our hearts, to bring uh, conviction and encouragement in those places that we need it. Father, I ask you this morning for special grace um, to explain your word, to apply your word, and that we would hear it and allow ourselves to be changed and uh, that we may leave here um, walking in your grace, resting in Jesus, and not using our own effort to uh, have peace and security and salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, how many of you have ever been involved in a group project? Right? And there's always, whether you're in school or whether you're at work and your job, there's always that one person who is just not going to pull their own weight, right? And do you know who I'm talking about? If you don't, it's you, okay? Uh, and so we know there's that person, and everybody else is going to work hard, and we're going to split up tasks as evenly as possible, and, and you give it to that one person, and... Uh, they're not going to do their job, and someone's going to have to cover for them and, and do the work that they were supposed to do. And during the presentation, they're not prepared, and, and they just kind of wing it. And, uh, you know. and then the grade comes out, and it turns out that what everybody else did was great, and you get the A or whatever it is, and that person ends up getting the same grade that you get, even though they didn't really do the work. Or, or on your jobs, you do the work, and somebody else gets a promotion. How do we respond when we feel like we've been treated unfairly? When we know we've done the work, we know it, and someone else gets what we thought we deserved. So we're going to talk about this morning. Uh, if you turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 15, um, we're going, to, we're going to talk about this famous parable, maybe the most well-known parable of Jesus, uh, the prodigal son. And hopefully we can not only take lessons from the prodigal son, but, but there's other things in this passage that Jesus really wants us to get. And so I, I really hope we pay attention this morning and uh, don't miss out on, on some deeper truths that Maybe you didn't quite get in Sunday school, because in Sunday school, growing up, all we ever get is the prodigal son. And we miss that there's this whole other second half to this parable that is really the main point of the parable. So look with me at Luke chapter 15. I'm going to start at verse 1. We've got a lot of text to get through today, so I'm just going to kind of read blocks of it, and then we'll talk about uh, different points that we can see from it, okay? Uh, Chapter 15, verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, being Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Verse 3. So he told them this parable. And then he goes on to tell them two parables, one about the lost sheep. The sheep gets lost. The shepherd leaves the 99 and goes and searches for the one and brings him back and celebrates because he found this uh, lost sheep. And then he tells a parable about a woman who 
has 10 coins and uh, she loses one of them in her house and she sweeps the house, turns the house over up and down until she finds this one coin and she finds it and what does she do? She celebrates. She calls her friends in and they party because they found one coin. And then he comes to verse 11 and he tells a third parable. This is what it says. And he said, there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. So this younger son uh, goes up to his dad. He says, hey, dad. Well, this younger son, we get, let's, let's try to find a little profile for him. He's probably a teenager. He uh, is not in any way going to be married or anything like that. He just wants his money. And based on what he does with it, he's not very good with money. And so we can t- he's probably really young. If we were trying to stereotype, we would call him a millennial, right? He would be a millennial today, but I had a professor tell me, you don't make fun of the group you're trying to reach, so we won't call him a millennial, all right? So don't, don't call him a millennial. Uh, and so, and the, so he goes up to his father and he says, hey, dad, I just want my money, okay? Can you just give me my money? Now, in this culture, when you ask for your inheritance, and some of you may know this, when you ask for your inheritance, what you're basically saying is, I don't care if you're dead. I just want your money. And so he goes to his dad and says, hey, dad, I just want my money. Now, me and my parents, we joke all the time about when, you know, daddy getting old, you know? Like, so, so when my inheritance comes, we're going to talk about, you know, I got two sisters. Who's getting all that inheritance? In this, in this culture, right, and, and in Deuteronomy, it's explained that if there's two older brothers, if there's two brothers, the younger brother gets half of what the older brother gets. The older brother gets twice as much as the younger brother. And so this younger brother says, hey, I'll, just, I'll, take, I'll take it now. I just want my money now. And he just wants to go away. He says, Dad, I just want your money. I don't want you. He insults his father and he insults his family. And yet, the father gives it to him. Even though there are, there are specific books that have been written at this time by rabbis who said, if your son asks you for his inheritance, don't give it to him. Because what happens if all the money is gone and you're left broke? You don't want to have to beg people for money. And so this father goes against the cultural wisdom of the day and says, okay, I'm going to give you your inheritance. Would we think that that father is a wise father? He probably knows exactly what his son is like. Probably knows whether or not he is able to spend this money wisely. And yet he gives it to him. Let's think about this father. So he divided his property between them. And then verse 13, not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. So he's just getting out of town. As soon as he could, as soon as he could liquidate that, you know, all that property or whatever it was, just out of town, getting as far away as he can from his father. 
And there he squandered his property in reckless living. This reckless living, this is where, this is why this, pro, this uh, parable is called the prodigal son. This is what the word prodigal means. It means to be reckless, to spend lavishly, to spend everything. Prodigal does not mean someone who runs away from home and then comes back. This is what I thought for a long time what this parable is about. Oh, it's about the son who goes, who goes away and you know, realizes he's done wrong and then comes back home. No, this is about spending lavishly. That's what prodigal means. And so verse 14 says, and when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. So he goes out, he spends all his money, he ends up with nothing, he has nowhere to go, and so he's so desperate that he ends up working with pigs. And as a Jew, this would be the most desperate, demeaning situation he could have ever imagined. Not only are pigs gross, but culturally, this meant that he would be unclean. And so there was no way for him to be accepted uh, to go back home. And so he has, he has no finances. He has no friends. Nobody gives him anything. And this famine arises. And everything that could possibly go wrong is going wrong for him. He ends up in this pigsty feeding pigs. In verse 17, but, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. All right, so he's got his plan. He arose and came to his father. Right, he's worked out this plan. He's rehearsed it in his head. He's built up the courage, and now he's going to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. This was not how a man in a patriarchal society would behave. He would not run to someone who had insulted him and feel compassion on him and hug him and kiss him. This father is full of grace. And the son said to him, he's going to start his little speech. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. This father, even though he's been insulted, even though his son says, I don't really want anything to do with you, as soon as he sees his son coming back home, he says, come, 
I forgive you. I feel compassion for you. And all of these things that he does, he, he puts his ring on his finger. He uh, puts the best robe on him. That's probably his own robe, right? He kills the fattened calf. This calf, it's not like they had a bunch of these calves sitting around. This calf had been fattened up, ready for a real celebration. And this son comes home, and that's what he uses the fattened calf for, to celebrate. And so this son, he doesn't even get his speech out. The father interrupts him. The father has recognized his repentance. And he says, no, you're back. And all of these actions of the ring and the robe and the fattened calf, all of this signifies that he has been welcomed back as a son with full privileges. So he's a son again. What does that mean? Let's see. Um, let's, let's take some points from uh, just from the, the younger son. What are some lessons we can learn from the younger son? Uh, just real generally, number one, reckless living will only destroy you, okay? Reckless living will only destroy you. The first point I want to make also is that holiness is not a ball and chain. See, this son, as young people are known to do, thought he had it all figured out, thought he knew how to handle his money, you know, thought he could go off and be independent and be by himself. He wants to go backpacking through Europe or whatever it is that he wanted to do. And he blows it all because he wanted his independence, and he did not need his father's rules. He did not need his father's help. He did not need anything that his father could give him, except, of course, the inheritance. Uh, but holiness is not a ball and chain. This son thought that being around his father was limiting him, and so he needed to get away and go to a far country and find himself. Uh, holiness is not meant to hurt us. Holiness protects us from ourselves. Holiness instructs us in how we should live and how we can uh, pursue the right things and not end up in this desperate situation that the younger son ends up in. And sin always has consequences, right? We can't expect to sin and have nothing go wrong. That's what we learn from this son. Uh, the famous quote is that sin will take you further than you ever wanted to go. It'll make you stay longer than you ever wanted to stay, and it will make you pay more than you ever wanted to pay. That's what we learn from this younger son. Uh, also, we need to recognize the consequences of sin. We need to not ignore the warnings when we know we're walking away from God, when we know that we're pursuing things that we shouldn't be pursuing. God is going to tap you on the shoulder and try to get your attention. We should not ignore the warnings that God gives us, right? And so for this, this young man, uh, he's, he spends, when he realizes all his money's gone, he can say, okay, I should probably go home. Nope, he's gonna stick it out. Uh, and then all his friends leave him. And then a famine hits. Man, even the weather is against him. In your life, 
God is going to be merciful, but he's going to try to get your attention to try to turn you back. And I know that there are some people in here today who are flirting with things that they know they shouldn't be flirting with, and God is warning you to turn around now. Don't pursue those things. Don't let it get to the point where you are in this desperate situation. Heed the warnings that God gives. Because when you get desperate, then you end up doing things that you never, ever thought you would do, like feeding pigs. Finally, come home. Come home. Don't let your pride prevent you from repenting. Don't say, oh, they're just going to look down on me. They're going to say, I told you so. Even this son, going back to a place where he knew, he, he felt he would not be accepted back unless he groveled and presented himself as a slave. He did not let that prevent him from seeing the better side of returning home. Don't let pride prevent your repentance because the Father has more grace than you have sin. No matter what your sin is, no matter how big, no matter how much, the Father has more grace than your sin. This Father, he gives his wayward son his inheritance. This Father welcomes him back and kills the fatted calf for this son. And he doesn't, he doesn't make him uh, promise certain things beforehand to say, okay, well, you say you're coming back, but here, let's, let's write out a list of things that you need to do before I take you back. Mm-mm. This father, some would say, recklessly takes his son back recklessly gives him his inheritance. See, it's not only the younger son that is a prodigal. It is the father who is also a prodigal. He is lavish. He spends, he distributes his grace freely to anyone who will receive it. So, These are lessons that we can learn from the younger son. But the story doesn't end there. Let's continue on in verse 25. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. Music and dancing? Jesus, talking about dancing. Okay, uh, let's, let's go on. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out. The Lord of this house comes out to this bitter son who refuses to go in. Again, the father is gracious and lavish. 
His father came out and entreated him. Right? He asked him, he says, son, please come in. Come celebrate with us. But he answered his father, look. Not father, not esteemed father. Even the younger son, when he asked his father for his inheritance, says, called him by a respectful title, father. But this elder son, but he answered his father, look. These many years I have served you. Now, in the Greek, that word served you literally means I have slaved for you. Some modern translations soften it, so it just says I served you because we don't like the word slave, and there's all kind of ideas that come with that. But in this, he says, I have been a slave for you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, not my brother, when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, this is the father, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And that's where the parable ends. What does the elder brother do? Does he stay outside? Does he stay out of fellowship with the father by his own choice? Because of his own bitterness, we get no hint of him changing his mind. We're kind of left, as, like this is a sad ending to this story. And if we go back to uh, verses 1, 1 through 3, we see that this is actually a parable for the Pharisees. This is not a parable for the sinners and tax collectors who were coming to Jesus. This is actually for the Pharisees. Uh, verse 2, it says, And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Verse 3, So he told them this parable. Jesus' parable is in response to the Pharisees' response to him. And so this parable is not really about the younger son. If we stop at the younger son and the prodigal, we miss it. This is a parable about the elder son. This is a parable about the people who are perfectionists, who are performers, who are people pleasers, who are legalists, who never do anything wrong. And so we see based on how this elder brother responds that you know, we can look at the younger brother and say, man, yeah, he's totally messed up. It's obvious that he needs to be saved. He needs Jesus, right? But when we look at the elder brother, we see that even careful obedience to God's law may serve as a strategy for rebelling against God. You can do every single thing right and still be out of fellowship with the Father. See, when we find our identity and our meaning and our purpose and our value in our performance and our adherence to the rules, 
All it does is increase our pride, and it blinds us to our need for a savior, for God, for Jesus. We can actually avoid Jesus, avoid seeing our need for him by doing everything right, by avoiding sin. Because we look at Jesus and we say, I see you, but you know, I'm pretty good too. I don't really need you. I got this. I can handle this. And so what should we do when we look at the elder son and we see his response? His response is anger. When we meet him, where is he? He's out in the field. He's working. He's doing everything right. And yet, all he has is anger and bitterness toward both his father and his brother. So what should we do when we look at the elder brother? I think the main thing that we need to do is we need to repent of our righteousness. And when I say righteousness, I don't mean authentic righteousness, obviously, right? I mean self-righteousness. Because even though we do good things, we do righteous things, sometimes we need to repent of it. We need to repent of our righteousness when when we use it to make God seem cruel, right? This son, in verse 29, he says, I've been a slave for you. He says, God, you treat me, Father, you treat me like a slave. I feel like I'm a slave to you. I don't feel like I'm a son. I feel like I'm a slave. When you're doing your good works and you do it with the mindset of, Boy, I got to do this because otherwise God's going to hit me and you know, he's going he's to take away all this stuff from me if I don't do this. You're treating God as though he is a cruel, hard-driving slave master. So we, we must repent of our righteousness when we use it to make God seem cruel. Uh, we must repent of our righteousness when we dismiss our own failures. In verse 29, he says, uh, these many years I've slaved for you, but I never disobeyed your command. Now, do we really think that's true? Like, it's so easy for us when we're, try- when we're working hard, when we're trying to do the right thing, it's so easy for us to dismiss our own failures and focus on other people's failures. Or, even if we acknowledge our failures... We know how to repent. I'm going to repent the right way. And so even, even if I do admit that I've done something wrong, I'm going to repent the right way and then just brush off that. It's like, yeah, I did that, but I've repented. So it's all good. Right? So let's focus on what you're doing wrong. But even if he is telling the truth, that he never disobeyed, what's he using that for? He's not using it. He wasn't obeying out of love for his father. No, he was using it to put God in his debt, right? I have never disobeyed you. Therefore, you owe me. You owe me the life that I want. You owe me the things that I want. I have rights that I need to claim over you. 
you need to consult me about the things that you're going to do. Right? That's why he's so upset. Like, hey, I've never disobeyed you. But you're going to go ahead and do this for this son? No, no, no. You need to ask me first. Consult with me. Because after all, the father divided up his inheritance, and he's given the younger son his half. Everything else belongs to who? The elder son. And the elder son realizes that, wait a minute, that's my fattened calf. It's costing me for you to give this fool that doesn't obey, that sleeps around, that does everything wrong. You're taking what belongs to me and giving it to him? You owe me that. We need to repent of our righteousness if that's the mindset we take. We need to repent of our righteousness when it causes us to look down on other believers. Ah, oh, they're not as good as me. Oh, they haven't been serving as long as I have. Ah, uh, they still struggle with this. Boy, I, wouldn't, I don't trust them. I wouldn't let them into my house. I wouldn't let them date my daughter. Talking about sincere believers now, true believers. They're just not good enough. Like this elder brother says, says, your son, not my brother, your son. Because it's so easy to just look down on other people, right? It's so easy to, to go to this other extreme. Because I feel like not a whole lot of prodigal younger sons in, in, in this service right now, right? But I feel I, there's probably a lot more elder sons because on this pendulum of, you know, once we get saved, it's like, okay, I can't sin anymore. So let's swing all the way over to this side and say, okay, I'm not going to do anything wrong ever. But we know how hard that is. And so we got to work really hard to do that. And so when we see anyone else struggling, it's like, hmm. What's wrong with you? Or if we see anyone else who we don't think is as good as us get something that we want. God, what are you doing? I deserve that. We need to repent of our righteousness when we forget God's kindness to us in the past. Verse 31 this is the father saying, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. See this elder son? He, he, he just brushes all that off, right? You've been a son. You've been in the family. You li- you're, not the, you're not a slave. You might think you're a slave, but then you also enjoy all the benefits of being a son. It's so easy to forget God's kindness to us in the past when we're only focused on what we're not getting in this moment. And so we have to combat this. We have to go over in our head every day things to be thankful for. We must write out a list, count your blessings, right? That's how we combat this uh, temptation to forget God's kindness to us, to forget that we are sons, that we have an inheritance 
with God. And finally, uh, we do not care about the lost. Verse 32, it was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And the other brother says, so what? He's getting my stuff. But the father is still gracious to him. The father goes out to him. The father asks him to come in and eat with them. Celebrate. Enjoy the moment. You still have so much. But you choose to have the mindset of a slave. Think of me as a slave driver. You choose to forget all the good things that you have. You've chosen to not enjoy the blessings of being a son, right? He always wanted the father to give him a goat so that he could celebrate. But the goat was always there for him to have. He could have celebrated if he wanted to, but he chose not to. Some of us need to learn to enjoy our relationship with God instead of seeing it as this obligation that we always have to do. Otherwise, God's going to take something from us or beat us. And so we need to see God as a good God. We need to serve him out of love and thankfulness. Uh, we need to look at other believers as brothers and sisters. We need to remember God's kindness to us, and we need to care about the lost like God does because he celebrates when the lost come in, comes home. So these are some questions uh, I want us to ask ourselves. Do I obey with this unspoken agreement that God will give me what I want or, or keep me from harm? And when he doesn't, if he doesn't do what I want, then I'm gone. So what if the rewards stop? What if the blessings don't come as quick as they have been? What if someone else gets the blessing that I thought I deserved, that I had worked hard for? Do I obey just to keep God off of my back? Or do I actually love him? Do I want a relationship with him? And is my performance the gauge of my justification with God? If I'm performing well, then I feel like God loves me. But if I'm not performing well, then I feel like God is against me. That's not how it works in a family. In the, in, in the relationship with God as father, we are always accepted. We are always accepted. This younger son was accepted even though he had nothing and had done everything to disassociate himself from this family. Another question. Parents, are we raising elder sons who are more focused on performing rather than resting and trusting in Jesus? What is your younger goat? The young goat. What is, that, what is that thing that you really want, but you feel like God's holding out on you? And if God doesn't give you that thing, then maybe he doesn't love you. Or maybe you feel like he's not a good God if he doesn't give you that one thing. 
How can you repent of that? So let's start to sum up. Um, It is ironic that this story ends with the elder son out of fellowship. Because we get the story of the younger son who does everything wrong and is lost but is found. And the elder brother who does everything right is the one who is lost. He is the lost son. And if we look at both brothers, we see that both of them have their own way of rebelling. The younger son is through his recklessness. The the older son is through his righteousness. He uses his righteousness as a shield. They both insult their father. They both only wanted what their father could give him and not the father himself. And they thought they could perform to earn their father's blessing. When the younger son comes back, he says, oh, I'll be a slave. I'll I'll work as a servant and work my way back into the good graces or maybe work my way back to uh, being able to have an inheritance again or maybe work my way back to pay off what I wasted. And the older son was just working all along. We meet him in the field, working. They thought they could... Uh, perform to earn their father's blessing. And so we look at these two brothers and we say, they're both messed up. I think we need a better brother. As we go through the Bible, we see uh, older brothers get a bad rap, right? Uh, I probably was not the best older brother growing up. But if we looked in the Bible... The very first older brother, Cain and Abel. Cain murders his brother. And what does God tell him? You are your brother's keeper. Uh, We look at Jacob and Esau. Esau wants to murder Jacob. Jacob has to run away from home. Granted, Jacob probably deserved it, but, you know, Esau wants to murder him. Uh, Joseph and his older brothers. His older brothers sell him into slavery. David and his older brothers, his older brothers just think he's a troublemaker and they tell him, oh, you just come to watch the war because, you know, you're young and stupid. They don't like him either. And so all throughout the Bible, we see that that the older brother and the younger brother are in this clash. Um, We need a better older brother. And we have one. Romans chapter 8, verse 29 says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So we have an elder brother. We have the best elder brother. We have the elder brother who went to the far country to get us. Not like the elder brother in the parable who just says, yeah, that's that idiot younger brother of mine. He's going to get what he deserved. No, our elder brother comes and gets us from the far country. He incarnates. He comes to earth to save us. He rescues us from the pigsty of sin that we are in. He perfectly performs all of the father's commands, actually. He doesn't just claim to, but he actually does it. 
And he is our substitute sacrifice for us. We don't need to work or do anything. It is all his work done on our behalf. He is our sacrifice. There's no fattened calf that needs to be killed. There's no more sacrifice that needs to be made. Jesus has made that sacrifice on our behalf for us. Jesus pleads on our behalf before the Father as our advocate. He's not like the elder brother who throws his younger brother under the bus and says, look at how messed up he is. Jesus says, no, I died for them. I am making them righteous. I am sanctifying them. They are made holy through me. And Jesus generously grants us all the blessings that he has earned. Jesus shares his blessings with us. He's not stingy. He's not the elder brother in the parable who says, those are mine. He doesn't deserve any of those things. Jesus says, no, these are mine. Here, you can have some too. And at the marriage supper of the Lamb, Jesus is going to celebrate with us, just like this father celebrates for his lost son. Jesus is our elder brother, and he is the perfect elder brother when we believe, and that is all we have to do. We believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins, and that he was resurrected from death so that one day we would be resurrected Sin no longer has dominion over us. But it's our faith in him, believing in him, not in our good works, not in uh, measuring up to some standard of holiness that God has set. Because, I mean, we spiritualize it, right? We, call, we, we look at those people and we say, man, they are disciplined. Boy, they are faithful. We can say that about ourselves, too. We can say, man, I'm, I'm just trying to be faithful, just trying to be faithful. When really, if someone doesn't thank us, mm, I don't even know why I do this. And if I don't do it, it won't get done. Then don't do it. If you're going to do it with that heart attitude of where you're trying to hold everybody hostage for thanks or whatever, whatever motivation you have, don't do it. Don't be afraid to step back out of ministry. If you can recognize in your own heart that something's wrong, something's off. I do this for the wrong reasons. And so as I close, I want to talk about uh, how, how we can apply this. Uh, the first thing we need to do is we need to confess. We need to confess and recognize our own unrighteousness and our righteousness. Our unrighteousness is obvious, and we need to Repent of those things that we know are wrong. But in our righteousness, we also need to repent if we're doing it for the wrong reason and if we're doing it to hold God hostage, to put God in our debt, to claim rights. God does not owe us anything. He has done everything for us. We are in his family. We need to learn to enjoy the fellowship of being in the family of God. We need to believe that God is good. The elder brother did not believe his father was good. He was afraid of his father. That's why he obeyed him in every single way. He was afraid his father wouldn't give him something good. 
See, that solves, it solves recklessness and righteousness when we believe that God is good. It solves our recklessness. It stops us from being reckless when we say, God is good. Why am I going to go do all these things that he hates? And it solves our righteousness because we say, God is good. I'm not going to pretend to do all these things because I'm afraid of him. I don't need to be afraid of him. He's good. And so then we, you know, we chip away all the things that we do from poor motives, and then what we're left with is joy. Because we do it in the joy of the Father. And we need to believe that Jesus is the righteous brother. Jesus has done everything perfectly. We will never do everything perfectly. This doesn't mean that we cast away, you know, that we stop trying to be righteous because, right, we've seen that the reckless younger brother living doesn't work either. What we need to do is rest in Jesus and let him show us how to be righteous, how to do things with the right heart in a love relationship with the Father. So I don't know what you need to repent of today. Whether you need to turn from sin that you know is wrong or whether you need to turn from uh, judgmental, legalistic perfectionism that you require everybody else uh, to adhere to. But I pray that the Spirit will work in our hearts to show us what each of us... And that's why I, you know... That's why I preach this message today. Because it's hard to, when you get one shot to preach, it's like, what passage do I read from? Well, what am I struggling with? Kind of disappointed that God hasn't given me some things. How do I respond to that? Do I lash out in bitterness? Does it reveal that I've really only been serving God to get stuff from him? when he doesn't give me what I want. These are things that I need to wrestle with, that I'm still wrestling with. But the truth of the scripture is that God accepts us. God is entreating us. He's pleading with us to come home, come inside, and feast with him because he loves us. And Jesus has done everything that is required for us to have that relationship with him believe in him. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we thank you for everything you have done. We thank you that we don't need to work to be accepted by you. Thank you, Jesus, Lord, we praise you for coming and living the perfect life that we could never live, for being accepted by the Father through your resurrection. Lord, I pray that we would learn to rest and enjoy our relationship with you. To not feel like we are slaves, to not feel like you're going to hit us if we don't do everything perfectly. Lord, your love is extravagant. You are the prodigal God. You pour it out on us, and you poured it out on us through your son. Lord, I pray that we would repent of any self-righteousness that we have, and that we would be able to see and savor the Son of God. In Jesus' name, amen.